Hey, Reach Paramount, welcome to our podcast. We really hope this message encourages and challenges you as you walk with the Lord every day. Enjoy this message. Well, are you glad you're in the house of God today? Why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell them they're in the right place at the right time right now. There you go. You can be seated this morning. Appreciate the welcome back today and glad to be in the house of God. The best church in the world, Reach Paramount, right? We're in the best church in the world today. I'm going to get into this message, Finish the Fight. Uh, We've been continuing this series, and I'm telling you, the moment we begin to get into this series, I believe we've been in a spiritual fight. And uh, I I believe there's something happened that uh, God just exposed these things and things begin to come out and we begin to fight battles that we didn't know we were fighting. And so we need to understand that we're in a real fight. How many believe that? And so Paul the Apostle has kind of been our theme scripture here out of 2 Timothy chapter 4 or chapter uh, chapter 4 verse 5. I'm going to read the scripture and then I'm going to pray. It says, don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling the good news and fully carrying out the ministry that God has given you. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. So let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your presence. We thank you for your grace in this house today. I pray for the people of God that are sitting in this building today and those that are watching online. I pray, God, that you'll minister to their hearts, speak into their lives today. Wherever state of mind they're at, wherever spiritually they're at today, that the word of God would minister to them. God, your word is relevant in 2023. From the day that it was written to today, it still applies to our lives today. So I pray today for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. God, that you would anoint every word that I speak today and that the people would hear the voice behind the voice today. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. So Paul is acknowledging in this particular scripture that we are in a fight. He said, I fought the good fight. And I've said this before, but most preachers uh, only talk about the finished work of Christ. And they say that most of the time we can just kind of, uh, you know, just enjoy the blessing, kind of walk this Christian life without any battle, but it's not true. It is a battle that we're going to fight, and we've, we're talking about there's a spiritual warfare that is happening. We are battling not flesh and blood, but against spiritual principalities. How many understand the battle is not against your mother-in-law, the battle is not against your husband or your wife, The battle is not against your ex, but the battle is against the devil, right? And we're fighting that battle every day. And this is why Paul is encouraging us. He says, fight the good fight. Uh, He says, I finished the course. I finished this race. Uh, And he's really encouraging us that we need to do do this every day. And because of that battle that we fight every day, if we stop fighting... And we just kind of coast along the way. How many understand that it's very easy to fall back into old habits? 
It's very easy to fall back in the old way of doing things. If we stop putting God first, it's very easy in our spiritual journey to begin to fall back in the old way. So how do we fight against this enemy? What, what are the strategies that we're supposed to be fighting with? Because this is an unseen war. This is the war that we can't see with the naked eye, but it is a spiritual war. And it's a war against your family. It's a war against you personally. It's a war against our nation. It's a war against uh, the human soul. And this battle has spiritual implications. And this is why we need to finish the fight. So we, we're facing three enemies. Are you ready for this? Write this down. Three enemies. Uh, it's the world, it's the flesh, and it's the devil. If you read the Bible, the world is really the, the world's values or the world's system. The flesh, when we take, talk about the flesh, it's the old nature. I said the old you. The old nature. We're fighting that old nature. And the third one is Satan himself against the demons and powers and his little minions or whoever they are. We're fighting that, right? But there's also this battle that I'm going to talk about today that I think all of us are going to be able to relate with, and it's the battle that we fight within. And it's the flesh. It's the old nature is really what I want to focus on. There's a cartoonist that wrote this down. Uh, it was a famous cartoonist that he put out. They would be these daily comics back in 1970. I think most of you weren't even born then, but I was born by 1970. And he wrote this down, or he put uh, a cartoon, and it said this. M many of you might have heard it, if, uh, especially if you've uh, been around since 1970. And he said, we have met the enemy, and the enemy is us. Today we're looking about, I'm going to talk about the battle within. So if you want a title today, write it down, the battle that is within. Sometimes we are our own biggest enemy. In other words, Satan doesn't have to be involved. Satan doesn't have to be uh, involved in what we're doing. Sometimes the battle is with us. Have you ever asked yourself, man, I'm always stressing with my boss. I'm always stressing with my kid. I'm always stressing with this. I need a vacation. And the problem is you take you on the vacation. <laughs> and you say, all my relationships suck. I move from one relationship to the next. What's going on here? The common denominator is you. You may want to look in the mirror and realize that Sometimes we are our own biggest enemy. Satan isn't tempting us. We're not battling all this stuff. Uh, we can do a pretty good job of screwing up ourselves. Am I right? And this is the battle that is within. Now, if you've been around a while, you've been serving God for a while, how many have ever said this? I wrote this down. When I first got saved, Jesus filled me with all this joy. I was forgiven of all of my shame and all of my sin. I felt the peace of God. I felt purpose. Man, I really seemed to have the joy of God. But after following Christ a while, I begin to struggle. And all of a sudden, the old habits begin to rear up its ugly head. All of a sudden, I felt this hug of war. I became frustrated. And all of a sudden, I begin to see, do things that, and go back to some of the old things that I was doing. Why is this happening to me? Why do I keep making 
bad choices. I'm so frustrated. Am I really a Christian? How many of us could be honest and say, I could relate to that? All right. About 10 people are honest here today. So I came to the right church today. Hallelujah. Every one of us has experienced this. And believe it or not, Paul the Apostle talked about this. And he dedicates a whole chapter to this battle within. And it's called uh, the book of Romans chapter 7. And he talks about in this scripture, because if we know anything about Paul the Apostle, he wrote almost one-third of the New Testament. So if there's anybody that's an example of a believer for us to follow and to be encouraged and inspired by, it would be Paul. And yet Paul talks about this inner struggle. He talks about this inner battle that he's dealing with. And, and he talks about the consequences to this and the conditions that happen when we go through this. And here's what I want you to understand, that there's a mental cost that we, we deal with every day when we're dealing with this battle. So first of all, I want to talk about this mental cost. The second thing I want to talk about is the cause. And the third thing I want to talk about is the cure. So you got, you got everything, the cost, the cause, and the cure. But Romans chapter 7, I want to read this to you. I think it's really great. And I think all of us, I love the way Paul writes it because he just gets real with us. He tells us how it really is. He says things that most of us don't want to admit, but we're going to read it right here out of Romans chapter 7, verse 15. And this is what he says. Listen, what he, look, look at it. We have the scripture up. I don't, I don't understand myself at all. How many have ever been there? For I really want to do what is right, but I can't. I do what I don't want to do, what I hate. I know perfectly well that what I'm doing is wrong, and my bad conscience proved that I and agreed with the law that I'm breaking, but I can't help myself because I'm no longer doing it. It is the sin inside me that is stronger than I am that makes me do these evil things. In other words, I don't want to gossip. In other words, I don't want to be impatient. I don't want to say bad things to my kids. Uh, I want to, you know, eat more healthier, but I just keep doing it. I don't know what it is. And then look at what he says here. He says, I know I am rotten as far as my old sinful nature is concerned. No matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do right. I want to, but I can't. When I want to do, do, do good, I don't. When I try not to do wrong, I do it anyway. Now, if I'm doing what I don't want to do, it is plain where the trouble is. Sin still has its grip in me. Man, that sound, this is sounding more and more discouraging. Am I right? It's sounding like this guy, man. We're talking about Paul the Apostle. This guy is messed up. And look at what he says. When I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love to do God's will so far as my new nature is concerned, but there's something else deep within me in my lower nature that is at war with my mind, and it wins the fight and makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. In my mind, I want to be, be God's willing servant, but instead I find myself still enslaved to sin. So you see how it is? My new life tells me to do right. But the old nature that's still inside of me loves to sin. Oh, what a terrible predicament I'm in. Who will free me from the slavery to this deadly lower nature? 
And look at the answer. Thank God it's been done by Jesus Christ our Lord. He has set me free. So here's what I want to cover and real quick, I've got about 30 minutes, and I'm going to do as fast as I can, okay? And maybe 30, 35 minutes if, you know, I can push it a little bit. And so I can, I can hear the frustration in Paul's voice. How many can hear that frustration? He's frustrated with himself. There's two things that are going on here. Number one, Paul is talking about his own strength. He says, I'm frustrated with myself. And he's saying that in his own strength, he always fails. Then the second thing he talks about, he's talking about his self-willpower. I want to do this, I want to do that, but it's still not working out. Here's what I want you to understand. We are not talking about a novice. We're not talking about a new believer. We're talking about Paul the Apostle, a mature believer. Someone who has been serving God for years, someone who's been devoted to God, and yet he still has this inner battle that he's dealing with, and he seems to be telling us he can't figure it out. There's this mental cost that is happening in his mind. There's this emotional drain that's exhausting him. Number one, write this down. He's talking about how it brings about confusion. He's a little confused with even himself. He says, in me, you know, I, I don't have the power in my own to do it. I'm a little bit confused. Look at what it says in verse 15. He says, I don't understand myself at all, for I really want to do what is right, but I can't. I do what I don't want to do, what I hate. So let, let me just say this, a few things here that I noted down in this verse. He writes, I, in this verse, several times. He says, I don't understand myself. I don't want to do what's right. But I want to do, but I can't. I, I do what I don't want to do. So there's all these I's. In fact, in this verse, he uses the word or the letter I six times, just in this one verse. He says, I can't do this. I can't do that. In fact, if you read on, he talks about this whole chapter. He not only goes from I, he goes, I, he goes, me, myself, and I. How many know that's a problem already? I mean, if you read this verse, he's 27 times, he uses all this chapter, he uses the word I. Uh, six times, uh, he uses, uh, six times he uses the word my. Uh, six times he uses the word me. And two times he uses the word uh, myself. All in all, he uses the first person pronoun 41 times. He says, I can't do it. Me, myself, and I. How many know without Christ, you're never going to get it done? Without Jesus, you'll never get it done by yourselves. I'm preaching better than you're clapping. But Paul has an eye problem. Thank you for the golf clap. But I, I'm here to tell you, Paul is saying, uh, he's admitting that he has an eye problem. He's saying, I have an pro eye problem. You have an eye problem. I have an eye problem. And when I gets in the way, we're never going to get it done. That's our biggest problem. He says, I'm perplexed. I'm a little bit confused. He says, you know what? I don't understand myself. He says, man, I, I, I'll be honest with you. A lot of us today, if we'll just be honest, we need to stop judging people. And look at yourself. You have some issues too. We try, we're trying to figure out everybody else's motive. Let's just be honest. You can't even figure out your own motive. 
if we'll be honest. Number two, I'm going to go as quick as I can. He's talking about guilt and shame. He says, man, he says here, I know perfectly well, verse 16, uh, I know perfectly well what I'm doing is wrong, and my bad conscience proved that, uh, proved that and agreed with these laws that I'm breaking. So he's saying in the spiritual battle, the human tools, this self-will power is not good enough and he's even explaining to us that it's a shame, that he's feeling the shame. He said, even in his conscience. You know what the word conscience means? Uh, the, the Latin word for con, yeah, con artist, but not that what it means. It means con is with, and the word uh, science, actually conscience is con, con science. Science means knowledge. So when you look at the word conscience, what it's saying is I'm doing this with full knowledge. Stop kidding yourself. You're doing it with full knowledge. You know what you're doing. You're doing it with full knowledge. The Bible talks about when Jesus went into the garden and he began, there was this inner struggle. He said, is there another way to do this? He said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Bible says he brought the disciples and to be there with him and to pray and to watch. And of course, when he came back, man, they were sawing logs. They were grinding corn. Amen. They were just, they were snoring. They were bad. And Jesus said, could you not watch for just one hour? He said, man, could you guys not just be alert for just a little bit? And Jesus said this, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Let's be honest. We've been there. You've been in this shame. You cause this confusion. It caused this shame. You're saying, man, I don't know if I could even keep coming to church. And then what it leads to, it leads to patterns, addictions, and habits. So number three, write that down. It leads to addictions and patterns. When you start to do something many times over and over, it becomes a habit. Look at what it says here. If I do these bad things enough, I... Uh, he basically, he was, I, I, I can't stop doing it, but I can't help myself because I'm no longer doing it. It's the sin inside of me that is stronger than I am that makes me do these evil things. Now, I'm going to explain this because it almost seems like Paul is passing responsibility to sin, but in actuality, he's passing responsibility to his sin nature because all of us have been born with a fallen nature. Let's just be honest. All of us will want in our, without God, we would just do what is wrong. Am I right? Without God, we're just not going to do the right thing. Without God, we're going to do what's comfortable. We're going to do what's convenient. We're going to do what makes us happy. We're going to do what's quick. We don't want to discipline ourselves. And Paul's not making an excuse here. He's simply pointing out that this sin nature is beginning to dominate. And so all of us today, we have to admit, we have this sin nature in us that loves to sin and it enjoys sinning. Let's just be honest. Can we just be honest today? Sin is fun. Don't look at me holy. If sin isn't fun, then you guys don't know how to do it. I'm just going to be honest with you. <laughs> sin is fun. It is. The Bible says sin is fun. And, and we just have to admit it. Here, the Bible says, the Hebrew says, there is pleasure in sin for, for a short time. Sin is pleasurable for a season. In other words, the short term, sin is very pleasurable. 
But how many know there's consequences to sin? You're free to do whatever you want to do. You have the freedom to do whatever you want to do. People can't make you do anything, but you're not free from the consequences. There are consequences to your sin. You're not free from the consequences. Everything has a consequence. Everything has uh, something you have to pay. And sometimes we think, well, it's my personal sin. Uh, I, and my personal sin doesn't affect anybody. It's just me. I want you to know your personal sin affects other people. And sometimes your personal sin has public consequences. And so you need to be careful that, well, I'm just doing my own thing. Your own thing affects other people. So again, sin is a lot of fun. How many know it's a lot of fun to just go out and use that credit card, buy everything you want to do, but guess what? In the long run, you're going to have to, you're going to end up in debt and you have to pay it back. It's the same way with sin. Says Sin says, you go do whatever you want to do. Go ahead and drink. Go ahead and have a good time. Uh, uh, but guess what you owe me? Uh, you'll have a hangover. Oh, yeah, go ahead and do some drugs, you know, but you, you owe me. You're going to get addicted. You need to buy some more to keep you going. Before you know it, yeah, go ahead and eat whatever you want to do, but you're going to get some indigestion. You're going you're gonna to get overweight. How many know what I'm talking about? There are consequences to everything. There's always a payoff, and I will tell you, it's not worth it when it comes to sin. Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Number four, are you ready for this? I'm going to go as fast as I can. It's self-condemnation. We put ourselves down. We're a pro at putting ourselves down. A lot of us today, we know how to, when we fail, when we mess up, we say, man, I'm no good. I'm worthless. Forget this. I'm not going to church. I'm just a bunch of junk. God hates me. Blah, 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 blah. Am I right? We do this a lot. We condemn ourselves. The Bible says here in verse 18, says, I know I'm rotten inside as far as my own sinful nature is concerned. So he's telling himself, he's condemning himself. This is the mark that happens when we get in habitual things that we begin to condemn ourselves that we're not good enough for God. And number five, write this down. It leads to frustration. Christians are trying to live their life for God out of their own power. You can't do it by your own power. You can't do it by yourself. Paul says this, no matter which way I turn, verse 18, I can't make myself do what is right. I want to, but I can't. When I want to do good, I don't. When I try not to do wrong, I do it anyway. If I'm doing what I don't want to do, it's plain where the trouble is. Sin has me in its evil grasp or in its evil grip. The law of sin and the law of gravity are both the same. They both take you down. It's, they take you down no matter what happens. How many know it's easier to push somebody down than to push somebody up? I don't want, want you to do this, but I've asked somebody to pull me down. and I, I don't want you to hurt me, but you'd pull me down pretty quick. But to get me up might be a bit of a challenge for some of you. To get me up, pulling up the weight, but pulling you down is easier. This is why sin, man, always pulls you down. Your, your willpower is not good enough. I said your willpower is not good enough. No matter what you try to do, no matter how much you try to do it on your own, you cannot do it on your own. You need God. And number six, 
what it begins to lead to finally, and I see a lot of believers this way, and they come to church this way, discouragement and despair. You come to church with a cara de, de chancla, right? You just like, you can tell, you can see the discouragement on you. Some of you, man, your face has been dipped in battery acid and lemon juice. I mean, it's like, you know, I, you're discouraged. I see that already. Yes, we'll pray for you. We'll pray for you. We'll believe God for you. Paul gets discouraged from this war going on. He says, it seems to be a fact of life. In other words, he says, I'm giving this up. It seems to be the fact of life that I want to do what is right, and I inevitably do what is wrong in my mind. Notice against this mental battle. In my mind, I want to, do God's willing, want to be God's willing servant, but instead I find myself still enslaved to sin. He goes, I'm still giving up to this battle. I'm losing it. And so he's getting discouraged. So what are the cause? And this is what I really want to get into because, again, we have two natures. When you gave your life to Christ, God gave you a new nature to do what is right. You became born again. But that doesn't mean that your old nature is gone. The old man is still there. Are you listening to me? As long as you're saved and as long as you're living on this earth, there's still two natures in you, and they are in constant battle. In fact, verse 22 says, I love to do God's will so, so far as my new nature is concerned, but there's something else deep within me, my lower nature. The lower nature, the old nature, or we call it the flesh, is the old man that is deep inside of you. It's inside of you still. How many know the old nature comes out? I see it in people, man. The hood comes out of you. What happened? What happened? Man, you were saved. You were thinking, but all of a sudden, somebody rubbed you wrong. And all the hood, all, all good this, your mama's like, what happened? What happened to you? The old nature came out of you. Your whole generation, I'm coming after you. But there's this war that's happening inside the old nature and the new nature. I'll give you this illustration. I heard about this. An old Indian chief who was a Christian, was trying to explain the war between the two natures to his son. And I think this is a great illustration. He says, it's like two dogs in my mind. They're battling together. There's the good dog and there's the bad dog, and they're fighting it out. The young, said, the young son said, which dad wins? He said, whichever dog that you feed the most. So who are you feeding the most, the old nature or the new nature? What do you feed the most? That's the dog that's going to win. There's two dogs inside of you, man. Did I say two dogs? Two natures inside of you. <laughs> All of us still have the old nature. It's prideful. It's arrogant. Self-centered. It lies. It steals. It exaggerates, right? It gossips. That's the old nature. And willpower is not good enough to defeat it. Willpower is not good enough to change everything. Knowing what is good is not good enough to do it. How many times have you heard a sermon here over and over and you're still not doing what's right? Right? So just knowing, having something, just doing it on your own is not going to do it. Verse 24 says, see how, you see how it is? My new life tells me to do right. But the old nature still inside me loves to sin 
oh, what a terrible predicament that I'm in. He said, I'm exhausted. He said, so Romans chapter 7 is really, if you want to know the truth, is the picture of a struggling believer. Romans chapter 7 is the believer that is facing exhaustion, that is facing a battle. Then Paul goes into the cure, and it's really found in Romans chapter 8. And I don't have enough time to go into it today. I'm going to talk about a little few things about the cure. But in Romans chapter 8 is the, is the Christian that is victorious. Romans chapter 7 is the Christian defeated. Romans chapter 8 is the Christian uh, uh, in victory. How many want to hear that sermon? Uh, next week, if you come next Sunday, I'll preach that sermon, see? I'm going to talk about, yeah, right? That's how, that's how I get them back, all right? So that's how we do that. So if you come back next Sunday, I'll have that for you. But let's, let's talk about what is the cure. Number one, write this down. I must deepen my relationship with Christ. It isn't that you don't know Christ, but you, get, you need to get a deeper commitment and a deeper understanding of who Jesus is and who Christ is. See, many times when we think that God is restricting us, he's actually protecting us. A lot of the boundaries in your life... You know, Christianity has boundaries that we say, well, these are boundaries, but in actuality, they're guardrails to keep you safe on the road. You ever go on the road to the mountain, they have guardrails around it because we're dumb. We like to drive really fast. I think it was, uh, it was last year, Pastor Isaac, we were driving up the mountains, remember? And this guy just ran off the, ran off the thing, man. The people were there, they had the, the helicopter there. What happened? The guy just went off the road. And, and I don't know how he did it, but he, somehow he flew. He must have been going really fast. Everybody's pulled over to the side looking. Is there blood? Is there people dead? You know, it's like, you know, we, we even pulled over, but we couldn't get a good sight, right? But, but <laughs> what happened? You know, we're look-a-loose, right? Like, hey, what? I don't see anything. Get the binoculars out. No. We didn't even see anything. Did we even see anything? No. But they were down deep in the canyon. Somebody went over. A lot of you Christians, the reason why you keep going over, because you're not, you're not paying attention to the guardrails. You need to stay in your lane. Turn your neighbor and say, stay in your lane. So here's the thing. If you're a Christian today, you need to realize that these guardrails are to protect you. Here, here's the reality. Christ is in you. But Jesus just doesn't want to be resident in your life. He wants to be president in your life. He wants to be Lord of your life today. He doesn't want to just take up space in your life. He wants you to put him, put him in the right place in your life. What does it mean for Jesus to be Lord of your life? This is what we're talking about when you have a deeper understanding of Christ, when you get a deeper relationship, if Jesus becomes Lord of your life, not just your Savior. Not just someone that saved you, but he becomes Lord. What is it when we say he becomes Lord? He becomes the boss in your life. He becomes the shot caller in your life. For some of you that speak Spanish, he's the jefe in your life. He becomes the jefe in your life. See, the throne of God isn't a couch. It's one person that should be sitting in, on the throne of your heart, and it should be Jesus. So you make him Lord of your life today. So let me just say this. If Jesus is not Lord of all your life, he's not Lord at all in your life. 
So you need to put him, when you get a deeper understanding of Christ, you say under new management, Jesus is now in charge. So in Romans chapter 7, this is the cure here we're talking about. We're deepening your relationship with Christ. Romans 7 verse 24, who will free me from this life? Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin? Sin. Thank God the answer is through Jesus Christ. So, So the one that frees you from this life that has been dominated by sin is Jesus. When he talks about this death or this body of death, another translation is, believe it or not, back in Roman times, when you murdered someone, they would often chain the dead body of the person that you murdered to you. So you had to walk around with this body of death. The stench of the body, you would wake up, you would go to sleep. Because they would change you to remind you that you killed somebody. This is what Paul is saying. Who will free me from this body of death? Who will free me from this thing that's walking around? He said, thank God, Christ Jesus sets me free from all that. Now, notice what he says, who will free me, not what will free me. See, it's not the what that is going to free you. It's the who. So the battle in you is not going to be by a what that's going to free you. A principle is not going to free you. A program is not going to free you. A pill is not going to free you. But the who is the person, Jesus Christ, is going to free you. Not a self-help book. Not a Tony Robbins seminar. Not some conference. Not some psychology. Not a therapy. Not a philosophy. But the one that will free you today will be Jesus Christ, the only person that's on the throne today if you make him lord of your life he will change your life today who will free me his name is jesus and paul really when he begins to write this scripture i gotta we gotta watch myself can't push myself here i i I got you guys ain't getting the full preaching but i'm i'm doing the best i can with my throat okay but here paul is saying that when he gets almost to the end of the rope he gives us a flash of hope He tells us today that Jesus is the answer. Number two, write this down. Not only should we deepen our relationship with Christ, but number two, I love this right here. We must expose and evict the lie that we have been believing. I've often heard this when I was a new believer. A devil exposed is the devil defeated. A lie that is exposed, you will then defeat So we have to expose and evict the lie that we've been believing. In other words, Satan has been living in your mind rent-free. It's time to give the devil an eviction notice. It's time to tell him, you need to get out of my mind. Because, see, this is how the enemy will work. He'll begin to make suggestions. He'll suggest some lies to you. And then you begin to lie to yourself. And every time you expose and challenge that lie, you will be free. The Bible said, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. This is in 1 John uh, chapter 1.8. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So we got to begin to tell ourselves that, you know what, this is the lie. This is not true. Because if we don't, we begin to believe the lies to our own self. 
we're good at deceiving ourselves. We try, we, you know, there's things that are going on in our life, and, and we say, well, that's not really a problem. Oh, my finances, that's not really a problem. My marriage, that's not a problem. My temper, that's not really a problem. My sex life, that's not really a problem. My foul mouth is not really a problem. My secret habits that I'm doing on the side that nobody knows about, that's not really a problem. My thought life, that's not really a problem. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. What are we pretending that's not a problem in our life? You're pretending, well, my marriage, my personality, you know, all these things. We don't want to admit it. And let me just tell you, behind every self-defeating act in your life, there's the lie that you're believing. You're believing that lie. You're believing that deception. It's amazing how quick we deceive ourselves. Look at what Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 says. The heart is deceitful above all things. It's beyond cure. Who can understand it? We have an amazing ability to deceive ourselves. Where do liars go? Reach paramount. Hallelujah. Yep, we lie to ourselves. Can I just be honest? Some of us are the biggest liars, man. You tell the biggest lies to yourself that everything's okay, that I'm all right. I don't need to come to the altar. I'm okay. You're lying to yourself. Oh, that sermon isn't apply to me. You're lying to yourself. Oh, that, that word isn't for me. That's for somebody else. Man, I wish somebody else was here. Yeah, he should be here to hear that. No, that's words for you. And you're making excuses. You rationalize what's happening. We rational lie, right? That we, we try to act like none of these things apply to us. You're lying to yourself. You're making excuses. And we say it's not a big deal when it is a big deal. Stop defeating yourself by stopping, by stopping and deceiving yourself. Because we do that. We deceive ourselves. And we have to be a person that will begin to live by truth. And stop making excuses. Stop rationalizing. Stop tolerating things in yourself. Stop doing things that are dis- destroying your life, that are hurting you in the long run. We got to get to a point where we have to admit to ourselves, we have to receive the truth. We got to be truthful with ourselves. Jesus said, you'll know the truth, what? And the truth will make you what? Free. But some of it, it makes us mad first. How many of the truth will make you mad before it sets you free? Be honest. The truth will tick you off. I've seen people, they come to church, they're just mad at me. They're like, man, I, I don't like what he's saying. I, I literally have had people here telling their wife, you told them everything about me. That's why you brought me here today. And they're mad dogging me in the, in the, in the like, like his wife told me everything. So we set it all up. So when he came, I was going to preach exactly what was going on in his life. And I literally had a guy here for weeks that would come every, and he'd look at his wife like, I know what's going on. You told him everything about me, and he's preaching about it. And he'd be looking at me all mad, like, dude, I don't even know anything about your life. I don't even know who you are. He finally had to admit that God was speaking to him, and the truth was ticking him off. But when he received it, it set him free. Sometimes the truth will make you miserable. The truth will hurt you before it heals you. But if you'll humble yourself, and you admit, man, I ain't got it all together. Pastor, I need help. I need God's help. 
would you pray for me? And you come to the altar, you expose and evict the lie that you've been believing, and Jesus will set you free. Can you say amen? And here's the last part. You're not really going to like this, so I need to prepare you. Put your seatbelt on. Are you ready? Most of you are not going to like this part of the sermon. But it's necessary. Can I just preach the truth? Do you want me to preach truth or lie? I'm going to preach the truth today. Like I said, it's going to tick you off before it helps you. But a lot of us today, we have to begin to declare or admit our struggle to somebody else. In other words, tell somebody, I'm struggling with my mouth. I'm struggling with my mind. I'm struggling with my behavior. I'm struggling with this secret addiction that's going on. See, a lot of us, we just want to be forgiven, but you don't want to be healed. We come to God and say, oh, God forgave me, but there's, so, there's, all, there's a few things in your life that can only be healed when you admit it to somebody else. And the Bible tells us this, James chapter 5, verse 16, it says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. So what? So God can heal you. In other words, when a believer prays, great things happen. When you confess your sin to each other, the Bible said God can heal you. It doesn't say that confess your sins to God, although we need to ask for forgiveness, but healing actually takes place. There's healing that takes place when you confess yourself to some, confess your sin to somebody else. See, a lot of us today, the reason why you're struggling, the reason why you keep doing what you're doing, because you're not making yourself accountable to anybody. You're not saying, hey, I'm struggling with drinking. I'm struggling with drugs. I'm struggling with pornography. I'm struggling with some issues that are going on. I'm struggling with anger. Would you pray for me? I want to make myself accountable. You'll be surprised the moment you admit it, the moment you confess it, the healing of God takes place in your mind. The healing of God takes place in your heart. You have to see, you guys are mad dogging me already. I watch the crowd right now. People are mad at me right now, but I, I love you. I'm gonna, I need to tell you the truth. You need to confess your sin to someone else. See, it changes everything about you. When you're willing to confess your sin, I'm getting thrown off the platform right now, but I want to just tell you right now, when you do that, it, makes, it, it changes everything about your life. Romans chapter 7 talks about all these things, I this, I that, me, myself. But did you know Romans chapter 8 talks about the Holy Spirit? It mentions the Holy Spirit over uh, 19 times. How are we going to get healed when we allow the power of the Holy Spirit to change us today. The other day, there was a, a crow lying in front of my, our house, uh, right in the middle of the street. And I'll just be honest with you, I hate crows. So I wasn't mourning the death of the crow at all. Sometimes they come like four or five in the morning. Somebody get those crows, man. I go, if I had a BB gun, I'd be knocking those crows out. But luckily, we've, we've had this hawk hanging around the area. I said, oh, thank God for the hawk, man. <laughs> the hawk has been taking care of some of these crows. And they're mad. They come back and they're attacking him. And he's just eating away like, what? You're not going to do nothing to me. They come trying to peck him. He just kind of looks, finishes it off, goes on to the next crow. He, he, he's taking care of business. And there's this big old crow in the middle of, of the street. Am I lying, honey? It was big, huh? It was right in the middle of the street. And I, and I said, you know what? I'm not going to clean up that crow, man. I'm not going to. I called the dog pound. I said, get this crow out of my house, man. It's right in the front there. But I was thinking to myself, you know, 
Um, and this is gross. The thing about what hawks like to do, I don't know how I'm getting into this. They like to take the head off of, yeah, they, they take the whole head. And they, this crow, a headless crow is right there. It's a big old crow. Anyway, I was thinking to myself, let's just say the crow was intact. Let's say the head was intact. And I got that crow and I tried to throw it up in the air and fly. How many know it wouldn't fly? It's dead. Although it may have all the wings, it may be completely intact. It's not going to work. It's lifeless without the spirit of life in it, right? Life is gone. Can I tell you, you can be walking as a believer without the spirit of God, without his power, you're going to be lifeless. You can't do it on your own. What happens is you need the power of God to deliver you. You need the power of God to help you. You need the power of God to change you. And only he can do that when you allow the spirit of God in your life today. So let's bow our head. Let me pray. Close our eyes for just a moment. Holy Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com give.